Easter, and then we are back for our final week of connection. How crazy is that? After tonight, only two more left. And then you get to take finals, your favorite thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> why don't we why don't we pray now so everyone will stop talking and get into the sermon? <laughs> Father, thanks for this time we have together. It's good to be with us. Uh, we thank you for the week that we've had. Uh, we've seen you in ways that we didn't expect uh, as our great provider. In other ways, as we've walked through our week, we've been slain with things that we didn't see coming, and we're looking for faith. We pray that tonight you would be among us, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would encourage us, that you would lift us up, uh, that we might walk out of here and be changed by it, that we might live by faith, that we might be people who trust you in every area of our lives, even when it doesn't make sense to us by our own understanding. And that we would know you go before us and you are our great provider. We pray that you would be among us, and we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start off tonight by thinking a little bit about expectations. Uh, I think it's really important for us to consider the expectations that we have when we think about our lives, especially our lives of faith. Because I think it's a lot easier to walk through challenging times, specifically, and navigate temptations in our lives when we have an idea that they're coming. Is that something that you would say is fair in, in your life? It's a lot easier to deal with really difficult things when you have an idea of what's coming. I was presented with a scenario this week in talking with a friend that made me think about this in a way. Uh, it's a guy who used to be a student here, and he's trained to become a Navy SEAL. And so we were talking a little bit about his training and what that entailed as he prepares for SEAL school. So pretty much what his life is about right now is doing calisthenics and running all day long. Uh, but one other thing that he's doing that I hadn't heard of before to prepare, he's trained to become comfortable in water. So if you don't know anything about SEALs, they spend a lot of time in water. They swim really long distances with tanks of air in the ocean. They do a lot of tasks uh, working on machinery and things when they're submerged. And so in SEAL training, they do a battery of tests to prepare these guys to do things in situations where they're going to be really wet and really cold. Um, my two worst uh, fears my these favorite things ever. And so listen to these exercises that these guys do. Some of them are just crazy. It's torture. Um, literally, this first one is called surf torture or cold water conditioning. Here's a picture of surf torture. Basically what they have these recruits do is lie down in link arms and then they lay backwards with their heads facing in the Pacific Ocean, right, where the waves break. These waves are four feet tall. The water peaks at around 68 degrees, but normally is around 65 degrees uh, in San Diego where the seals train. Uh, for a frame of reference, the typical swimming pool is 85 degrees. That's what you'd find if you go jump in the water at the YMCA. And so they're laying there in the water in salt water, sand, uh, little pebbles. They just get in these guys' eyes when the waves break and come back over them. They get in their ears. They say that those things even get up in their sinuses. You know that place that really hurts when you feel stuffed up? All that junk gets in their sinuses. And so they'll do this for hours. When they start to get hypothermia, their trainers will have them get up and run a little bit on the beach and then lay back down in the water. And so they do this for hours. They even do it into the night. Uh, basically what they do is try and see if these guys will tap out uh, and then they're out of being seals and they can just be normal sailors in the Navy. Unless they really want it and then they suck it up and that looks terrible. Here's another exercise that sounds like a blast. Drown proofing. Here's what they do in drown proofing. They tie recruits hands together and then they bind their feet together. And they have them jump into a nine foot deep pool with no goggles 
no breathing equipment, and they have this half-hour drill that they have to do. Listen to what this entails. They have to bob up and down from the bottom of the pool to the surface five times. Then they float for five minutes. Then they swim 100 meters without touching the bottom. If you touch the bottom, then you're out um, with your hands and arms tied. And then you bob for two more minutes and do a series of forward and backward flips. And then you just have to swim to the bottom of the pool and retrieve an object off the bottom with your teeth and bring it back up to the surface. No big deal there. Uh, then you return to the surface and bob five more times. That's drown proofing, guys. That's pretty serious stuff. How crazy are those girls? If, if you had the opportunity, would you even try it? Would you want to give it a shot to see if you can do it? I don't see many people nodding yes. Here's why I bring all this up. I am really glad my friend knows that these obstacles are coming. Because how horrible would it be if you just walk into SEAL training and thought all it would take is being good at sit-ups and push-ups, and like you know, you'd be able to do a few pull-ups and you're a Navy SEAL. Oh yeah, we're going to drown for you and surf, surf torture you. Uh, man, I'm glad you can prepare to the extent that anybody can really be ready for those things, if we're being honest. You can only prepare to a certain degree. I think that preparation will really come in handy in the moment that he has to face those challenges. All that to say, each of us deal with challenges a lot more effectively, I think, when we have an idea of what's coming. This crosses over into every area of life. I know we have some athletes who come to Connection, and I think this crosses over to pretty much any discipline, even if you're not an athlete, but sports psychologists have studied the mindset characteristics of top performance, athletes who do best in sports that require a lot of mental toughness. Uh, when it comes to mental toughness in sports, the athletes who consistently perform the best are the ones who tell themselves before they compete, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. They may not necessarily enjoy that aspect of competition, but they're prepared for it. They say, this is going to hurt, but I know what's coming and I'm going to do my best anyway because this is important to me. The athletes uh, who don't perform quite as well, they may be just as talented or maybe even more talented or more experienced or better trained, but they don't perform as well as they go into it saying, oh man, I hope this doesn't hurt. I hope this isn't too rough. Uh, I guess I'll see how I feel as we get into it, and then I'll decide whether or not it's worth it. Those are the people who perform the best. It takes commitment. It takes accepting the reality of the difficulty of what they're attempting to accomplish if they're going to get the best out of themselves. Expectations are important. They're a powerful thing. They influence the way we view challenges. They influence the decisions we make when the heat gets turned up in those tough situations in life. And so we're in this series right now called Words to Live By. We're looking at the Apostle Paul's letters, uh, one of my dinner buddies, the Apostle Paul. We're looking at his letters to Timothy, a young man that he mentored in his Christian faith. He was a leader in the church in Ephesus. And part of Paul's letters to Timothy, what he does in these letters is set Timothy's expectations for what leadership in the church is going to require of him. He sets his expectations for what the Christian life of faith is going to be for every believer. And so when I think about the way that Timothy receives these expectations from Paul, there's a word that comes to mind. Paul uses this word four different times in his two letters. You know what this word is? Fight. Faith is a fight. It's a battle. 
That's another translation of the original Greek. Faith is a fight. It's a battle. Something to contend for. A struggle. Yay, that's what we've all signed up for, right? For Paul, faith isn't like a pretty word written in cursive on a piece of wall art that you bought at Target. How many of you have one of those hanging in your dorm right now? We've all seen them. That's not what faith is about for Paul. When Paul talks about faith, he's talking about a knockdown, drag out fight where you're just getting your teeth kicked in by life and you're doing the best you can to hold on. That's what faith is about for the Apostle Paul. Faith is uncomfortable, he says. In real life, faith doesn't come easy. And you're going to want to quit. Faith is a fight. Don't give up. It's worth the fight. That's what Paul told Timothy. Fight for the faith. When false teachers distort the gospel message, fight for the truth. That's what he says. Here's our first passage for tonight. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 and 19, Paul writes to him, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command. And the command that he's referring to is the one to defend the truth against false teaching. There are people out there distorting the gospel message, fight for the truth, and keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regards to faith. He's saying that you're going to run into people who say that we can make sense of the world for ourselves, decide what's right and wrong by our own reason. We can create solutions to all of our problems by our own understanding and creativity. We can find all the meaning that we need in life by self-fulfillment, thinking about what we're lacking in our own felt needs and pursuing those things first. That's, that's what we need to live a meaningful life. You're going to find people who will tell you those things are true. You need to fight against that with the truth of the gospel. God is our creator. He's made us like Him, and He's made us to live life in relationship with Him as our God. Not as our good luck charm that we just bring Him out and rub that rabbit's foot whenever we need Him. We're made to live life with God as our God. With Him as the center of the way that we live. And we often put ourselves in His place, don't we? We want to be our own authority and put our own desires first. Use our own wisdom to gain the lives that we've always wanted. And we can pay the price for that. We find ourselves lost. We can shipwreck ourselves for not looking to God as the one to direct our lives. And we can receive false teaching from people in an entirely different direction. We'll run into people who tell us that there is hope for us to be restored to God, but that requires a perfect moral record. So we better get a straight A report card of religious efforts if we ever want God to accept us. Fight for the gospel against that. Fight the good fight of faith. We can be restored to God, but the gospel is that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It was by grace that we've been saved through faith, not from ourselves, but through that gift of God. That's the truth. It's truth worth defending, and it's truth that we're going to have to fight for because the world does not accept that that is true. We put ourselves at the center we stray from the truth. So we've got to fight for the gospel. We've got to fight for it for the sake of others. But what's also really powerful here is that Paul tells Timothy, you need to fight for the truth for your own spiritual welfare. Don't wreck yourself, he says. Hold on to the faith. Remember that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you're pressured to conform to culture. Here's some, real, here's some advice that sounds really unspiritual. Maintain a good conscience. 
That's in the Bible. Maintain a good conscience. What is Paul saying to Timothy here? He's saying, listen to the Holy Spirit that's inside of you as you navigate the situations in our fallen world. Trust that God's Spirit's inside of you. And do the best you can with godly wisdom to live according to His leading in your life. Struggle against Him. Maintain a good conscience. Keep up that fight. Paul also warned Timothy to fight against the temptation to live as if this world is all that there is. This world and its things are ultimate. Let's look at another passage here. 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12. But you, O man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. If I'm being honest, that temptation to find security and contentment in the things of this world is one that's all too sweet for me. This is a temptation that I have really struggled with. I don't know if you've ever found yourself there thinking, God, when I have that job, then I'll rest. When I have just a little bit more, then I can be content. Or maybe just a little bit better, then I'll feel secure. Have you ever struggled with that? I know I have. If I can just have that, be satisfied. Those things of the world, they can tempt us all too sweetly. But when it comes to the way that Paul frames Timothy's expectations for the life of faith, he tells him, be ready for those challenges. Be ready for those temptations and fight against them. It's not that the material is evil. It's when we take God's good creation and make it ultimate. God promises to meet all of our needs. But when we look to the material to provide that comfort, that contentment, that security that can only be found in the one who has created us, in the one who has saved us, we set ourselves up for destruction. Paul warned him, run away from that temptation. Do you see it there? He says, run away from the things that harm your faith and toward the things that build your faith. And so he lays out for him that list there, right in verse 11. He lays out this list of goals to pursue. He says... Pursue these ideals, righteousness and godliness. What he's talking about there is know who you are in Christ and keep your eyes on him. Set your focus on the one who loves you completely. Seek to reflect him with all of your energy. Make that your ambition. And faith, what is he talking about when he says pursue faith? He's saying, where does your heart go when life gets real? When things are hard, when things are difficult, when you know that you don't have what it takes in yourself? What do you look to for rescue? There's a term that I found really helpful in thinking about this, and that term is what is your functional savior? Your functional savior, the thing that you look to to bring you rescue when life gets really difficult and you know that it's uncontrollable for you, when it's out of your hands. What's your functional savior? Oftentimes, my functional savior is wealth. If I could just find something to buy that could solve this problem, then, I'll, then I can rest. If I can just find someone who really knows me, someone who really understands me, and can give me that support that I'm looking for, then I can rest. What's that functional savior that you look for? If you're looking for something other than Jesus Christ and the love of God to provide you that rescue that only God is able to fulfill in your life, you're not going to find it there. Pursue faith. Trust Christ when life gets real. He says, pursue love. If you're honest about the way you live, who's actually number one on your priority list? 
love that reflects the gospel puts the other first. Real love is sacrificial. He says, perseverance, pursue perseverance, press on through tough circumstances. In the midst of your doubt, it's really easy when I doubt to stop persevering, to just cave in and say, man, like, I'm spent. I don't have what it takes. Where's God in this? Persevere, press on, keep trusting God in the midst of that doubt. If you will do that, you will build a resilient faith, faith that's worthy, faith that's able to stand the test of time. Whatever trials come your way, and gentleness last. Maintain a disposition of kindness towards others. Isn't it interesting that he lists gentleness as an ideal worth pursuing when he's talking about fighting? If someone said to me, fight for the faith, the word that wouldn't come to mind for me is, oh, be gentle. What's he talking about here? He's saying faith is a fight, but people who don't believe the gospel don't need to be smacked over the head with our theological and philosophical arguments. They need to see Jesus Christ who is full of truth and grace. Grace and truth. Jesus Christ was full of both of those things. We want to make a gospel impact in the way that we fight the good fight of faith and loving the people that God has put in our lives. They need to see Jesus in us who is full of grace and truth. So fight the battle of faith well by pursuing those goals. Think about that expectation that Paul set for Timothy. Challenges and temptation are going to come your way. And if you, if you remember the gospel as well, Jesus laid that same expectation out for his own disciples. What did he say? In this world you will have trouble. That's a pretty clear expectation. That's not a line that we often tell people when we're sharing our faith with them, is it? In this world you have trouble, but here's the other expectation you laid out. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Trust me as you walk through challenges. Trust me as you walk through temptation. Because I've already conquered them. That's the hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. Through faith in His resurrection, His resurrection power is at work in our own lives. And we are going to share in His victory. Here's another question for you. I don't know if you guys ever do this, but when I was in college, I used to give myself something to look forward to at the end of finals. Uh, for me, it was going out to get ice cream with my buddies, or maybe an adult beverage when I was of age. Um, <laughs> do you guys ever do that for yourself? Like maybe you think, oh, I'm going to get some Starbucks after this final because it's going to be miserable. Or maybe like a milkshake after you go to the dentist. I know you all have been there. I remember one time when I was a kid, I had surgery on my eye, and my parents asked me what I wanted, and I wanted a Happy Meal. And I got a happy meal with a toy race car, and then I yammed it up in my parents' back seat on the way back from the hospital. <laughs> it was a great happy meal, though. Here's why I asked that. Have you ever had a reward in mind that helped you get through something that was really difficult? At the end of this passage we have on the screen, look at verse 12. Paul shares the reward that we Christians have to look forward to. We'll fight the good fight of faith. What's that reward? Do you see it? It's eternal life. Eternity with God and with one another in perfect fellowship. That's what we have to look forward to. And here's what's really cool about this passage. Paul says eternal life, that's something that we will experience in the future with God in heaven, but it's also something that we're able to experience in the here and now. We're able to experience that reward in the present. He challenges Timothy, take hold of the eternal life 
to which you have been called. Take hold of it. If you'll fight the good fight of faith, if you will actively trust Christ as you walk through challenges that you know are outside of your control, if you'll walk through that and trust Him, if you'll walk through temptations that you know you can't handle on your own and say, God, give me what I need, and you rely on Him to show up, you will be able to experience eternal life in the here and now. Closer fellowship with God, a closer walk with Him, closer walk with one another and a deeper experience of the life that is to come, eternal life life to the full in heaven that's the reward that is ours if we will fight the battle well and so as you think about the challenges that are before you, there are going to be challenges you're going to face in these next few years whether you're in college or whether you're going out into the workforce in the next month and a half that you have no idea that they're coming. They're, they wouldn't be on your radar. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be something you'd ever expect for yourself. But will you walk through those challenges? Will you walk through those temptations in faith and say, I might not know what's going on. This might not be in my control, but I'm going to trust that the God who has saved me loves me enough and is able to provide for me sufficient grace to walk through this in faith, that he can use even this to draw me closer to him and give me an ultimate hope in Jesus Christ and what's to come. Will you walk through it in faith? You know the expectation. In this world, we're going to face trouble, so get ready to rumble. Those challenges, those temptations are going to come. But fight the good fight of faith. Take heart. God is with you. He's overcome the world. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. Your word points us to the truth. And sometimes when we think about life, uh, we, can be either, we can be either really optimistic about thinking that because we're saved by grace, uh, smooth sailing's ahead of us. Or it can be really pessimistic and think this world is just completely fallen and we're out we're without hope. And all we, all we have to look forward to is having God and things are going to be made right. But we know that as we walk through this fallen world, you have put us here for a reason. We have great purpose as your followers that we might point other people to who you are, our creator and our redeemer. God, in the midst of the challenges that we face, in the midst of the temptation, God, we know that sin doesn't define us, it's not who we are, but it still plagues us, it still harms our walk with you and with one another. In the midst of challenges, in the midst of temptations, help us to be people who fight the battle of faith well. Help us to be people who trust you. Make us people of resilient faith who lean into you. Not that we would shy away, God, when we know that we can't handle it on our own. Not that we would sit down and just pull ourselves out of the game. Help us to rely on you, to trust in you in such a way that our lives would be a testimony to the power of Christ that lives within us. God, Help us to be people who aren't defined by fear, but people who take heart because we know that you have overcome the world. We look forward to the eternal life is ours, and we ask that you would give us the faith to follow you in the here and now, that we might take hold of that life and live it to the full all of our days. We pray this together in Jesus' name.